have what it takes to make an impact in the world. All you have to do is to take the first step. Welcome to another exciting episode of Podcast with Sheila. Today, we are going to be hearing from a gentleman who embarked on his first project at the age of six, Ryan Reljak. Ryan is a Canadian activist who established the Ryan's Well Foundation to bring water to developing countries um, in Africa. He has received numerous awards, and one of them is the Order of Ontario, which was bestowed on him at a very tender age. Hello, Ryan, and welcome to Podcast with Sheila. Hi, Sheila. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. So what would your favorite quote be, if you have any? Uh, well, I usually say to people that you're never too young or old to make a difference. I think it's never too young to start. It's also never too old to start if you find something you're passionate about. Uh, another quote that I uh, found that I really like is, I'd rather live humbly for a cause than die nobly for one. Uh, I think sometimes we can get so invested and so passionate about the issues that we care about that sometimes a lot of people who I've known, you can forget about yourself. So I think it's important to care about the issues that matter to you and is also to care about uh, yourself as well to make sure you can maintain that and volunteer and be passionate for a long, healthy life. That's great. That's great. Okay. Tell yeah. us a little bit about Ryan. Who's Ryan? Where'd you come from? <laughs> How? Well, I'm an old, yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm an old man now. I'm 30. Uh, but back when I was six, I started a school project in my grade one class to raise money for a well because I heard that there were kids my age who couldn't go to school because they didn't have water there. And we were, you know, really young. We were six and seven years old. So when my teacher said that kids didn't have wells and water, we didn't really understand. We asked questions like, why don't they just go to the tap? You know, like problem solved. Yeah. My teacher explained that, nope, not everyone has taps. Sometimes kids have to walk as far as like five kilometers to go to a water source if they don't have it at their school or their home. And, you know, we didn't understand how far that meant. Like we were so young, but my teacher tried to explain by saying that it's about 5,000 steps. And that didn't help either because we couldn't count that high. But I counted the steps it took me to get from my classroom to the water fountain and I counted 10 and it just didn't seem very fair. So I raised my hand and I tried to get involved by fundraising what I thought would build a well and what I thought would bring clean water to the entire world. It turns out that that wasn't the case, but it set me on a path to make it a part of my life. So now I've been fundraising and volunteering and working now for uh, 24 years and we've been able to do over 1,500 water projects, helping over 1.1 million people get clean water. So sometimes, you know, it doesn't matter if you're young, naive, if you have a passion, uh, you owe it to yourself to follow up with it. Great. Let's take, the, let's take the story from the top. I read a little bit about your story. And it says that um, when your teacher told you the story, you went home to tell your parents about it, that you wanted to embark on a project. And then you wanted them to give you money for your first project. And your parents said you have to work for the money. Yeah. <laughs> you did work for four months and then you earned $70. And then you realized $70 was not enough to start the project. So how did you raise your first amount of money to start the project? Well, it was even tough actually to raise the $70 because I had to persuade my folks to let me do chores to get an allowance to get that. And it was, uh, I remember it was actually a Lenten school project. So the project was supposed to last 40 days. And by the time those 40 days had gone by, uh, I had only raised $25. So it took for what felt like forever <laughs> to get to there. And then to be told that, you know, I went in and my school wouldn't take the money anymore because the fundraiser, fundraiser had ended. 
And my mom found an organization in the city where I'm near, a city called Ottawa, an organization that did that kind of thing. They built water projects around the world. And I remember I had this like cookie tin filled with change and I went in and I was all excited. I thought it was going to build a well. And, you know, they were, they were really nice. They were like, oh, this is so great. They showed me around their office, explained a little bit about what they do and then said that, you know, this is great. This will help, but the amount of money you have, it will just buy like the hand pump that goes on top of the well to build the well itself. It would cost $2,000 and then kind of just patted me on my head and said, you know, (laughs) off you go. And I told them actually, before I left that I would just go home and do more chores and come back once I had $2,000. And uh, so we got home. uh, I was at that meeting with my mom and we got home and my mom said to my dad, it's not over. The goal is $2,000 now. And my dad just, you know, he face palmed. He went like, oh my God, like this hasn't been over yet because I've been <laughs> doing chores, trying to squeeze out little dollars here and there wherever I could. And I like my dad a lot. Uh, he's uh, he's retired now, but he was a police officer in the city okay. and he used to volunteer basketball coach the two high school teams in my town. He's a really nice guy. And I looked yeah. up to him when I was a kid, but uh, I sat down with him and we had a chat and he said, you did a great job raising the 70 bucks needed for this well. And it won't build a well, but it will help. And you did a good job. You should feel proud of what you did. You meet, met your goal, but it's okay to stop. You know, my dad wasn't trying to be mean. He wasn't trying yeah. to put me down. He was just, you know, a grown up, And he yeah. knew that the world's a big complicated place. And that I was, I think I would have just turned seven and that a yeah. seven year old son couldn't bring the world clean water. So he wanted to save me from, you know, the harsh yeah. reality of the world itself. But yeah. I think when I was seven, I don't think that mattered. Uh, I had this passion. I really thought I could fix the world by doing one well and it would end up making a big, huge difference. So, yeah. you know, I decided to keep on going. I ended up going back to my school and trying to talk to my friends and trying to get them involved. And it was really tough and challenging because not everyone has the same passions exactly. or sees things the same way. So I had to get a little bit uh, creative. I think my very first fundraiser was a Pokemon card raffle uh, kind of oh. thing for like trading cards that kids use kind of thing. Great. And then we had like a, a bump basketball tournament at lunch. So sometimes if you have a passion, you look at your target audience and you make it fun and applicable to the people who are engaged. And then a few of my friends who wanted nothing to do with it before all of a sudden wanted to participate and we were able to get the ball rolling and then some teachers saw what I was doing and I wasn't exactly the kid to go out and do extracurriculars or the smart kid in class I was just kind of there and I think for other students and my teachers I think it was kind of like a if Ryan can do that like what can I do because I think sometimes when we think about making a difference in the world is we put it on a pedestal that it has to be you have to be a remarkable selfless individual to get it but I was just Ryan yeah so I think it's important to remember that that can have an impact on others and it created a movement that led us to creating the Ryan's Well Foundation to where we are now so it's kind of crazy great I still want us to dig deeper so yeah where was the first place you built your um, first well so the first well it took a long time like I started oh. doing all those little fundraisers at my school it took about a year to fundraise enough money for the well was going to be and uh, uh, they had featured me in their newsletter they're like oh this is a cute kid who's doing fundraising for us so I got I got myself I weaseled into a board meeting uh, with their local partner who was working on the ground in uh, I think two different areas of Africa at the time uh, an organization called CPAR 
and the Canadian physicians for aid and relief. And they did the on the ground water work. And I got invited to a meeting and they asked me if I wanted to, uh, they were working in two different areas that would be good sites, a village in Ethiopia and a school in Uganda. Okay. And uh, I told them I like the school in Uganda because I wanted kids to be able to go to school. And yeah. then we were able to get that done and the well went in and it was a school called Ngolo Primary School. And the school enrollment actually, uh, it jumped like crazy because a lot of kids, more kids were actually able to go to school instead of oh. getting water for their families. So it That's went crazy. from 700 to 1400 students. So it ended up making a huge impact and that mm. was kind of ground zero for all their work, yeah. <laughs> Great. I also read from your story that you met a friend in Uganda at the time. I, are, you I still, yeah. are you still in contact with him? I am. Uh, when I was in grade two, uh, we all got uh, pen pals, actually. So like writing buddies at the school where the well was built. And my pen pal ended up to be a kid named Jimmy. And uh, we wrote for a couple of years. And then I was lucky, actually, I was able to actually go and visit the well. Uh, the mm -hmm. school had heard that uh, a kid had fundraised money for the well. And they were very, I think that the school and the community were really curious because in that culture, even more than like in the UK or Canada, when you're a student, like you're a student, like you sit down in class, you listen to what you're being told. And then when you're an adult, you become like a member of the community and you participate yes. more. But they took that as a message for their students that they didn't have to wait. It wasn't, you know, the government or a big aid organization that had come and helped drill the well. It was a kid. So uh, they had always uh, thought the story was neat and shared it with their students and always wanted me to come to officially open the well. So the opportunity came and I was actually able to go and it was pretty unbelievable. There was a huge celebration at the school and there were 5,000 people there. Everyone was so happy for the water source and it was unbelievable. And that gave me a lot of motivation to keep going. But a part of that trip was I also met Jimmy uh, there and uh, we became really good friends actually after that celebration I went to school for two weeks uh, at the school and I just hung out with Jimmy every day and we became really good friends uh, I actually learned on that trip that he was an orphan being raised by his extended family oh. but but he was fine and he was uh, there and you know after that trip it was kind of a catapult for me for uh, trying to fundraise for more water work I came back and there was a documentary done. It was on the Oprah Winfrey show a couple of times. It was in magazines. And, but Jimmy was still in uh, Uganda. And uh, this would have been way back in the day. It would have been, uh, I would have went in 2000. And then in 2002, almost 2003, I think there was a lot of conflict actually happening in Uganda with a civil war with the people fighting the government yeah. and how it was called the LRA, the insurgency, and they operated off of child soldiers. So recruiting uh, kids and teenagers forcibly to fight in the army. And unfortunately, the conflict got bad to the point where Jimmy's village was raided and he was abducted. Uh, he actually chewed through the ropes that were tying his hands up and he ran off and he escaped kind of thing. And he came back the next day to his village and everything had been burned down oh. and the people that were left actually blamed Jimmy for the village burning down because you know there were people who were from around the area where he was it wasn't like it was an outside group it was people yeah. from that area and they said to Jimmy like you angered you know the army and you made them upset by running away you shouldn't have done that and now we've all suffered as a result and we've lost everything so you're no longer welcome here oh, yes. so it was he would have been 
you would have just turned 13 at the time, but you know, people had lost everything. And at the same time, he didn't have a home anymore. And we heard about all this, my family and I, like a couple of weeks after, because this was a long time ago. And we heard from a contact of ours who was helping us with water projects in a different area about what actually happened, that Jimmy was living on the streets, basically in the city close by. And, you know, we were sending a couple bucks for Jimmy's education, but we thought we were meant to do more. So after a very crazy month of this and that, we were actually able to get Jimmy to come to Canada on a visitor's visa to attend a conference. And he went to my school for the end of the year and we became really good friends. And again, all over again. And we actually learned more about what actually happened to Jimmy because we had heard everything that I just told you, like in basically a two line email that was very, very broad that Jimmy wasn't safe kind of thing. So learned about everything that happened with Jimmy and then Jimmy was able to claim refugee status and he became my brother. So he ended up going to <laughs> joining me at my school uh, in my hometown of uh, Kempville, Ontario. So a small country town. He did really well. English would have been his second language uh, when he came over. Uh, he was supposed to be entering high school, but his uh, English was at like a fourth grade level. So it was kind of like my French. It was not très bien. It was kind of yeah. average, but he worked his butt off. He went to high school, went on to university, great. Uh, graduated. Uh, he's now in Western Canada. He's a pipe fitter and a welder. So he's the smart one in the family. He's got yeah. the actual job that makes money. Mm -hmm. And he's got a family now. He's got two kids, uh, Amari and Quinton. Uh, one's one the other's four so oh, great with his wife out there and he's doing really really well and I just saw on the uh about a month ago he came back uh, to where I'm living for my wedding actually so I saw him not too long ago so he's doing really well yeah <laughs> oh this is a great story this is so great <laughs> yeah it's kind of funny how it worked but you know thankfully he was able to come he was able to get safe and he's been able to give so much joy in his life just the amount of things he's gone through is like something I've never had will, will ever have to deal with and that he fought it with such adversity and still at the end of the day he has so much kindness and he still treats everyone with such respect and wants to volunteer and do the good things for the community where no matter where he is is amazing so I'm really lucky to have him as a brother. Great are you getting married I had you chipping there that he becoming for your wedding. Are you getting married or you're married already? I got married a month ago, actually. Yeah, oh. so he came back and I saw him then, yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Congratulations. Okay, let's go back to the well project. So after the first well, which other one did you do? Did you just stop there and went back to school to finish it off or you did other projects? Well, I thought that one well would be the entire world getting clean water, but then learned that that wasn't the case. So I kept on fundraising and working. And then after that trip to Uganda, there was a lot of energy and excitement around a lot of people who wanted to do their own uh, fundraisers and volunteer. And a lot of them were a lot smarter than I was, who were older and knew a little bit more about international development and that kind of thing. So that led us to create the Ryan's Wild Foundation with the idea that we want to do really good quality, sustainable work that uh, empowers and involves local communities as much as possible. Uh, I think uh, when you look at international development, especially around water issues, is there's a huge problem with not a lot of proper due diligence and planning and making sure that the projects last and end up making a really good impact. So the entire idea is that we wanna you know, have come around the story that anyone, even a kid can make a difference, but really focus on the idea that really good quality work can be done to you know give people water so that they can go to school not have to get sick so they can go to work and kind of build their own lives and it all starts with water and if you can do that in a responsible way really involving the community so that they're 
you know, responsible for the water source and know how to fix it and are, you know, there and present and ends up making a huge difference. Do you think that being, uh, being that young at the time you started the World Project helped you to raise enough funds? Because people will be inspired mm. by a young you know, <laughs> child doing this project and everybody would like to put in a little bit. Do you think that helped as a child? Uh, in, in terms of fundraising the money, uh, not in the beginning for sure. It took me a long time to get people to take me seriously. But in terms of actually starting the initiative, if I wasn't a kid, I don't think I ever would have started it. I would have looked at the problem and said, oh, it's too complicated. It's too hard. It's on the other side of the world. It's something that I can't have a role in. So sometimes as a kid, you don't see things that way. You, you know, you're told that you can do anything and you have that, you have a passion. And if you have the, you know, some basic stepping blocks in front of you on what to do next. And I think as, uh, you know, educators and parents and everything else, I feel like when you do find passions, if you can not do something for your, the child, but, you know, give them the building blocks to go forward, it ends up, you know, making a profound impact. So I was lucky I had those people around me. I think the most important thing my mom actually did when I came home with the idea that I wanted to raise $70 is once she told me no a couple of times and I, you know, it was clear that I was going to try to do this is she drew a thermometer with lines on it, like two, four, six, eight, all the way up to $70. And every, and it was like a thermometer kind of thing. And every, uh, every $2 I raised, I got to color in another line. And I think that's important because sometimes if you, uh, as a kid, if you have a big goal, like bringing clean water to the entire world, you can get lost and not end up doing anything because your goal is so arbitrary and out there. But if you have a tangible goal and you're able to work towards it. Uh, it really helps you keep grounded and focused. So I was lucky I had that. Mm -hmm. Now the project is very big. I believe you have a team working with you. Do you? Um, yeah, I wouldn't say we're big, but we have uh, three full-time staff, one part-time. We have a board of directors, a build committee of volunteers, and volunteers all around the world who help us fundraise and put out materials and whatnot. And we're able to do a lot of good work as a result. Uh, we focus this year, uh, we'll be focusing on four different countries. We're going to be, we're doing a lot of work in, uh, oh, sorry, three different countries with four different partners. Uh, we're doing a lot of work in Uganda, along with Malawi and Ghana, and just trying to do as much good work as we can. What was your impression when you first got to Africa? No, before, no, let's ask this question first before we go to that. Did anybody <laughs> try to discourage you saying, um, no, I don't think you should take this project going to Africa and all that. Did anybody try to discourage you from doing the project? I think there was people kind of like my dad did in the early days, not necessarily outright discouraging, but just, you know, who were maybe a little bit more grounded in reality, who, you know, cautioned okay. that I shouldn't get my hopes up for trying to make a difference when that could easily not happen. Yeah. And I feel like no matter what you're trying to do, there's going to be people like that. And at some points in life, those people are actually very important to keep yeah. you grounded, to have a good set on what's uh, doable and what's not. But at the very beginning stages, when you have a dream, when you're trying to do something that's radically different than you know what the norm is, uh, I think it's important to really follow your gut and follow your heart. And yeah. I was just lucky I was able to do that. Yeah. What was your impression of Africa when you first got there? Uh, I was a bit blown away. I, I remember getting off, off the plane when I first got and it smelled and it just felt different kind of thing. And then I think they'll go to recess and go to class. And I had this idea in my head that it was going to be really, really different. Like I'm from rural 
uh, Canada, you know, where I thought was, you know, regular from my standards. And I thought this place in the middle of Africa was going to be incredibly different because it's on the other side of the world. But, you know, we went to class, we played soccer at recess and hung out with the kids after school. And, you know, we did different things like we barbecued corn as a snack and just was eating it just by the fire kind of thing. But, you know, they were the same kind of kids that I had at my school back home. Like they wanted to go to school, laugh, have fun and for kids. And I think that was important for me to actually realize that, you know, no matter where we are in this world, we're all a whole lot more similar than we think at the end of the day, especially when we're kids. And I think it was really cool to see that. Yeah. How has this well project helped your life or changed your life? It's been unbelievable. I've been able to meet so many people that I wouldn't have been able to regardless. Otherwise, I've been able to be, you know, I was kind of lucky. I was the kid who kind of had the idea. But ever since then, it's become a community of people mm-hmm. of all different stripes around the world who have really added to it and made it special. And I've just been lucky. I've been able to tell my story and be a part of it for as long as I have as a volunteer. And now working for the last five years with the project work and now as executive director you don't always get that opportunity usually sometimes you have to grow up and get a job job Uh, i haven't had to grow up yet Uh, but uh you know just uh being grateful and you know and trying to do as much work as we can and you know i'm in a lucky situation you think that if you had an opportunity you do it differently Oh, that's a tough one. I don't think I'd change anything. I've watched too many TV shows where someone changes something different in the time stream and it affects too many different things. I'm glad I just had people in front of me who gave me those options of what to do next. Uh, And I don't think I'd change anything, no. (laughs) What other projects do you do aside this one? I think I saw one other one that says my hero project. Is that something else you are doing? There's been the story featured in so many different because it was kind of weird what happened as a kid as it got disseminated in lots of different languages all around the world so it's in random textbooks that we have no idea about and I think just the fact that a kid can make a difference I think is a universal concept and uh, we're lucky that the story has been shared in you know lots of weird books Mm -hmm. and textbooks and everything else all around the world so I remember that one especially that's a long time ago that was a a school project that a, a grade four uh, did on us and they did a web page and for some reason it still shows up in Google when you, yeah. uh, when you put it in. <laughs> but do you do any other project as well aside this world project? Uh, I do a little bit of volunteering especially when I was in university. I was uh, volunteering basketball coaching and I volunteered for an organization called Frontier College helping teach people literacy skills who don't otherwise have them. Uh, and try to do stuff in my community uh, even now. Uh, I volunteer with a few different organizations uh, trying to help with economic development and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. lots of different causes in the world that need support and help in our own backyards and around the world. So if you're able to do both, I think that's the the money right there. Mm -hmm. Uh, You give speech on water and sanitation, do you? Yeah, it depends on the audience sometimes, some water and sanitation, the nuts and bolts of what we do and what we try to do. Other times on motivation. I think we're all trying to find a way to make a difference in the world. And sometimes I share my story and sometimes that resonates with some people. Have you had any challenges um, on this project aside raising funds for it, like um, challenges on site Mm. whilst raising the wells and all that? Have you had any challenges you would like to share with us? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for us is like when I talk about sustainability being the most important thing, 
that was from the very beginning when we saw other projects that were done when you see wells that are dry wells that aren't in use and different water projects that don't have the impact and the big question was why and it's because if you you know uh, i think there was this uh, idea especially in like the 90s with international development where if you just do the project itself it will take care of itself like it's such an investment that you know it will work itself out and because of that I think there's this crazy statistic where they figured about 80 percent of wells for instance that were drilled in the 90s by international aid organizations uh, about 80 percent no longer worked within a year because there was no planning there was no organizing the local community to really have the tools to take care of them, no training pump mechanics in certain districts, and it just goes such a long way. So we've just tried to really look at our work and try to make sure that we're not missing any of those steps because we want, when we do a well, it's a expensive cost, but it needs to last for a lifetime. It just doesn't need to last for a photo op or just to say that it's being done. And so part of the ways that we've been able to try to do that is really start planning over a year in advance before a well gets even put in to engage the local community to establish water committees as well as really get that training and capability in there so when something goes wrong when a well needs to be flushed when pieces need to be fixed that they have they people know who to go to and how to maintain things that certain bylaws are put into place on how the well can function that that community chooses and that's incredibly important uh, the other thing that I think uh, is really important that we do is we do a look back campaign where we look back every five and 10 years at about 80% of our projects and go and look back and see what's working well, what needs work and needs improvement, what's maybe something that one community uh, committee has found works really well for the water source that we want to carry forward to use with other committees. It's incredibly important that it just doesn't end with the well going in, that it starts before and it goes on long after. Mm -hmm. Right. There is something you said on, I, I don't know whether it's on your website, but I picked something on one of the pages because I've read a lot of things about you. <laughs> <laughs> and there was something you said that I think I'm going to try to summarize it. Like age, mm. age shouldn't be a hindrance. Anybody can um, impact the world. It doesn't matter where you're young, old, it doesn't matter. You'll be able to impact the world. Just look for something you are good at and then run with it. This is a very big message, seriously, Ryan. Um, I, th um, I think over the month, I interviewed consistently four children between mm -hmm. the ages of 10 and 12, if I'm right. I, I don't remember, but 10 and 12. And those children are doing brilliantly. That was the time I found you on Wikipedia. <laughs> on Wikipedia? <laughs> on Wikipedia, because I had kid, kid in children who are doing exceptional things in the world, and you popped up. And, but later on, when I read about you, I realized you are old now, but I read out to you anyway. So these children are doing marvelously well. And I was surprised at the kind of things they are doing. Actually, one of the children is a board of director on one of, on, in an organization. And she's doing exceptionally well, plus a few other ones that came on. And I think that from their story, that their parents have been their guide and mm. have encouraged them. And I asked them how, most of them, I asked them how their friends felt about their successes and the things they were doing. And I think that I got a unified answer, as in, we don't have friends because they don't like us. They think that it should rather be them in their position and not them. I don't, I don't know if I'm making sense. 
No, you're making a little bit of sense because it can be it can be a challenge uh, trying to figure out like already as a kid trying to grow up and discover who you are and what you want to do in your life without going outside the norm. That's already a challenge. And I had that discussion with my parents, with my friends, with, you know, you're always trying to figure out who you want to be and what's important is sometimes you do something different and it can alienate you from certain things. And I definitely remember feeling and experiencing that. But at the same time, I think one of the lucky things that, you know, I did with my folks when all this was going, especially in the heart of it, was I helped, they helped make it, make time so I could be a kid. So, you know, I could go play hockey and spend time with my friends and sleep in on the weekends sometimes and do nothing. And I think that's incredibly important, like how we kind of started this conversation is when you're young, you have, you know, you're at your highest passion I think you could ever be at. And you want, your people are almost in that mindset that you want to die nobly for a cause, that you want to go above and beyond what's required to really make an impact. And when you have that kind of personal investment, like staked on what you're trying to do, is when you hit a roadblock, when you don't need a fundraising goal, when something doesn't turn out the way you wanted it to, it can be devastating. Yeah. Uh, there was actually, it's really interesting. There was a radio program that were doing a special segment on volunteers uh, here in Canada. Uh, they do a CBC, it's called CBC All in a Day. And they were doing a special segment on volunteers. Why do they volunteer mm -hmm. and things like that. And they were doing it based off of uh, age groups. So they interviewed someone from zero to nine and then teens, 20s, all the way up to someone in their 90s. And this was a long time ago. Uh, I would have been nine years old. I was the nine-year-old they, uh, they interviewed. And they asked all sorts of questions. Why do you do what you do? Why do you volunteer? And they did it with the nine different people. And, uh, you know, it's fun. You go and you talk about why you care about what you care about. But what was really interesting is at the end, they found out something even more interesting. Uh, with the exception of myself and the teenager, uh, everyone else who they interviewed at some point in life had actually gone through a mental breakdown. Okay. Had gotten to a point where they couldn't sustain living a healthy life while being so involved in the cause that they were. And I think it's okay to take care of yourself. It's okay to have friends and be a kid, especially when you're trying to get involved in something that doesn't prohibit you from making a difference. But if you really want to make something rounded in a part of your life, I think it's an essential step. And that's not to say to, to not do as much. I think everyone has their own balances and things that they need to look at. But I think it's important to do that because if you can find the balance, you could end up making what was like a five-year passion project, an amazing part of your life forever. If you're able to find that balance. And I think that's really important. Great, great, great. Just before we wrap this whole thing up, what advice would you like to give to first children out there mm -hmm. and then later on to parents of children who want to explore the world or try to find themselves at a very young age? I think, yeah, I think the first thing is just if you're a kid, if you find something that you are passionate about, that you are curious about, raise your hand, find out more about it and do something small because you never know where it will lead. And I think for parents, teachers, anyone who's older, who has someone or even themselves who's, you know, all of a sudden is interested in something, I think it's just a matter of setting, setting a goal or putting, you know, uh, when you're kid one of the grateful things that my parents first did when I came home asking for $70, they just didn't give me $70 and say, okay, go away now. 
they gave me the opportunity to fundraise it for it. And they put the work in front of me that I needed to do. And if they never did that, then it would have just ended there. So I think that's important to, you know, take seriously, but at the same time, you know, give a challenge. And if you can do that, uh, who knows what can happen. Great. I really, really enjoyed it. I think that you've said a lot of things here as children, advice for children and for parents and for adults. And um, in conclusion, actually, in a nutshell, that everybody um, has the ability to impact the world. Just look for it. It should actually be in your comfort zone or something you're comfortable doing with ease and you should be able to do it and help people around you. Where can people connect with you, Ryan, as we bring it to a close? Yeah, we have our website, ryanswell.ca, and we have lots of information on our projects that we're actively fundraising for and everything like that is on our site. And we also, you know, are trying to empower people to make a difference. So share your story with us on social media or wherever else. And uh, yeah, let's make the world a little bit better. Yeah. Great, we would like to say a very big thank you for coming on podcast with Sheila today. Well, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you doing, for doing what you're doing, trying to get stories out there about kids and people making a difference in the world. That's amazing what you're doing. Thank you. Um, um, as we wrap up, um, we want to put this out there that Podcast with Sheila is giving five awards um, from now to the end of the year to women who are making remarkable things in their community, in their homes. If you know of any woman who's done something remarkable but has never received recognition, just um, get in touch with us. I'm going to be leaving the link to Podcast with Sheila somewhere in our um, description box. Get in touch with us. Let's get to know this woman. We have five awards for them and they will be sending it out. So if you've been listening to this um, episode, this has been season two, episode 27 of our podcast series, where we've been bringing your way seasoned guests with inspiring real life stories to share with us. Do not miss out on all these lovely experiences. Subscribe and be notified when a new episode is released. We have a video presentation of this episode on our YouTube channel. Just take for podcast with Sheila on YouTube and you'll find us until we meet. You.